Good morning, brothers and sisters. Sundays are a tremendous day. What a great morning, even as we've had already. Dustin and team, thank you for leading us in song. And it is a joyous thing to sing praises to Christ together with you as a church family. And uh, we are grateful for the children in here. We're grateful for all of you that the Lord has brought into our midst here this morning. Uh, it's been mentioned already, and you've probably seen it in your bulletin, but we are beginning a new sermon series in the book of First Thessalonians, in the book of First Thess- Thessalonians, and so we are going to be, be beginning that today, and then this will take us through till uh, about Christmas time, and there'll be a few other kind of additional sermons in the mix as well, uh, but the most, for the most part, the regular preachers of our church will be preaching out of this book, First Thessalonians. If you're using a Bible in the pew in front of you, it's on page 986. So if you want to turn there with me, First Thessalonians, and we're going to be looking at the entirety of the first chapter, First Thessalonians verses 1 through 10. And why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word, and uh, let, let me read, and you can follow along in your copy of God's Word. This is what Holy Scripture says. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Let us pray together. Father, I thank you for this church, for Maple Avenue Baptist Church. Thank you for my brothers and sisters who are here this morning. Thank you for all the children who were just with us just moments ago. Thank you for the life that is here. I thank you for the people that are here. I thank you for people who have been here for decades and for those who are just new even here this morning. I thank you, Father, for your work in our midst, a work that is often invisible, that we can't see, and and yet a work that is sometimes neglected by us. 
And so God, I just pray that in these moments, as we spend time in your word, that you would help us to more see and to more appreciate your divine spirit rock work in our midst. I pray that through the preaching of your word from 1 Thessalonians, that Maple Avenue Baptist Church would be encouraged this morning, that we would be strengthened in our faith, that we'd be more rooted and grounded in your son, the Lord Jesus, and that we would have a deeper appreciation for the gospel and its work in our lives and in the lives of those who sit next to us in the pew. We pray and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You're here this morning. And I just wonder for what purpose you come to a church on a Sunday morning. It's not a trick question per se, but I, I, I just wonder for what reason do Christians go to church? Some people might say, well, it's because I need correction. You know, there's sin in my life, I'm imperfect, uh, I go astray easily, and so I need the pastor to correct me. I need correction. I go to church because I need information. I don't know the Bible very well. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a newer believer. Maybe you've walked with the Lord for a long time, but I need information. I need the pastor to teach me the Bible and to impart to me sound doctrine. Or maybe you say, I need affirmation. The world's crazy out there, pastor. Um, it, it's, it's really insane, and I don't really know up from down when I'm out there, and it's hard for me to even, um, it's, it's hard for me to remain faithful to Christ in a world that is so confused about all things and that puts a lot of pressure on me. I need affirmation that what I believe is true and right. And I think that there is a place for all those things. All of us need correction. All of us need information in that sense. All of us need affirmation that what we believe is not crazy. That's where we gather here on a Sunday. But there's another thing that we desperately are in need of that we're often not aware of, and that is this. All of us desperately need encouragement. There is a place for these other things that I, I've mentioned, but there is an equal place for encouragement and strength giving by our words in the life of the church. In fact, Murray Harris, who is a renowned New Testament scholar, said this, encouragement is one of the most important ministries in the church of the New Testament. So I just want you to hang on to that. And that is going to be the purpose of this sermon this morning. It is going to be primarily, predominantly to encourage you, brothers and sisters, in the Lord with the Word of God. So Paul begins this letter. It's a little bit unique in the sense that there are three men listed as the senders of this letter. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. You might know Silvanus as Silas, so Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They were in they were co-laborers with Paul. They were probably in the city of Corinth as they penned this letter back to the church of the Thessalonians. And then notice the way in which the recipients are identified. It says, to the church of the Thessalonians. Now, the city of Thessalonica would have had about 200,000 people in Paul's day. And so every one of those citizens could have claimed that they hailed from the th city of Thessalonica. 200,000 people could have said that I am a Thessalonian, but only a small group, only 
a special group, this special group called the Christians, only they could claim that their identity was one that was tied to the, the fact that they belonged to the triune God. It says, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so while there are many Thessalonians in the city, there are only a handful. There is only a small group that could have claimed that their identity lay in the fact that they belonged to God the Father and the Lord Jesus. Which means this, that the deeper and greater identity for the Christian is not that they possess a certain citizenship. It is not that they are part of a particular ethnic group or from a certain culture. No, our greatest identity marker, the deepest answer to the question, who are we, is that we belong as a community to the living God and to his son, the Lord Jesus. You know, I was just downstairs last evening because I was doing some work here. And then, um, well, well, so I, I, I went downstairs and there was food, so I stayed. But there was um, the Spanish ministry that was meeting. And, um, and, and, and it's just a marvelous meeting that's taking place downstairs on Saturday mornings. It's bi-weekly over the course of the summer months. And, 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 and they do what we do here on Sunday mornings, but in Spanish. And I'm totally useless when it comes to Spanish. Like I could you know, maybe string together like three words or something like that. But, but the, the affection and the bonds that I would naturally feel with my brothers and sisters in that room is remarkable. And so for them, their ultimate identity is not that they're Spanish speaking, but that they belong to Christ. And therefore, I too, who am completely useless in Spanish, can have a bond with them. The greatest thing about us is not us, but it's our God. That's the deepest thing about us. And so then after the salutation, Paul begins the letter by thanking God for the Thessalonians. Okay? And we'll get into this over the course of this sermon and over the course of the series. But essentially what had happened is that Paul had planted the church in Thessalonica. He had gone away for a time. And then he really, you know, obviously they didn't have FaceTime. They didn't have email. They didn't have any sort of way to correspond. And so he was wondering what's going on with the Thessalonians. They're a young church. They're an immature church. I wonder what they're, how they're doing. I wonder what they're doing. I wonder what's going on in the city. And Paul sent his delegates, Timothy, to the city in Thessalonica, to the church there. And then Timothy came back. Timothy gave to Paul a positive and glowing report. And so Paul was deeply thankful to hear that report. Paul is glad that they are doing well spiritually. And so he channels all of this into a thanksgiving to God. Okay? Spiritual fruit, spiritual maturation, spiritual growth is always ultimately the work of God in the church, and therefore it is to God that we must give thanks. Paul says that he prays always for all of them, and he constantly mentions them in his prayers because he remembers them. And this is probably not a reference, if you're looking at the text, it's probably not a reference to the fact that Paul prayed you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But it's a reference to the fact that he prayed regularly for them. He remembered them and prayed with intentionality for them. And he was devoted to prayer. He was given to prayer. And I think it's a challenge for us, both pastor and congregant alike, that prayer was a regular practice for the Apostle Paul. Prayer involved remembering specific individuals and their perhaps their needs, and prayer is concerned with spiritual matters. 
Paul prayed regularly. He prayed constantly. He prayed with specific names. He prayed with intentionality. And I think that ought to serve as a challenge for us. Now, it's not like I did an extensive study on this, but if you just kind of go and Google or search or whatever sermons on 1 Thessalonians 1, a lot of people will approach this text and say the Thessalonian church was a model church. It is the blueprint church. It is a good example church. And so they have points on, you know, point number one on, you know, this aspect of the model church, this aspect of the model church, and that aspect of the model church. That would be one way to approach this sermon. Here is the model church, MABC, and let us compare ourselves to this model church, see where we're doing well, see where we're doing poorly, and uh, adjust accordingly. But I think that would miss the thrust of what Paul is doing here. Paul is saying, I see these things in you, and the intended effect of that upon the Thessalonian church is their encouragement. I see these good things in you, Thessalonian church. I thank God for you. And I think the intended effect of that upon the Thessalonians would have been encouragement. That's the way I want to wield this text this morning. I want you to walk away encouraged because God is at work in our midst. And of course, there will be areas in which we fall short and let us be challenged on those matters. But the emphasis is on encouragement and not on correction this morning. So if you're taking notes, I have three points for the remainder of this sermon. Number one, let us be encouraged and give thanks to God for the presence of Christian virtues in our church. Let us be encouraged and give thanks to God for the presence of Christian virtues in our church. Paul says that there were three virtues that were present in the Thessalonian church. The people were given to work, they were given to labor, and they were given to steadfastness. There was service, good deeds, and perseverance in the Thessalonian church. And these virtues or these deeds are things that I think most people would aspire to have in their lives. And really, this is a good exercise for us. What kind of people do you want to be? What kind of virtues do we want to cultivate? And this is a good place to start. This is a triad of Christian virtues. And while everyone, probably most people in society would say, yeah, I want to be a person of work. I want to be a person of hard labor. I want to be steadfast and have a not give up sort of attitude. The secret sauce for us is that these are not self-generated. Let me put it this way, service to God, love for others, endurance through difficulty cannot come from within. Paul says in another place that it is impossible in our own flesh without the Spirit to please God. And Jesus said in John 15 that, it is, that you can do nothing, I think what he's saying there, you can do nothing of spiritual and eternal good apart from him. And the Thessalonians understood that. They understood that, and therefore this gospel had begun to transform them, and this gospel had taken hold of them, and these Christian virtues were sprouting up in the congregation. Okay? Do you hear what I'm saying? There was virtue present in the Thessalonian church, but the source and the power for those virtues 
was not from within, but it was from the gospel. Paul says that they were able to engage in works of faith. And as I think about this church, many of you, in fact, lots of you who are downstairs who won't hear this, you're downstairs right now serving our children. Or maybe on a Wednesday evening, you serve in Mac. Not because your, your, your efforts are immediately rewarded with fruit, but you go and you love on the children, you sow the seed of the word in faith that one day God might bring those children to faith and to repentance in the Lord Jesus. The, the, the Thessalonians labored hard at love. And again, as I look out at you, Maple Avenue Baptist Church, many of you women particularly help with the, the, the meal train, the meal ministry, the Demons family being a recent beneficiary of that love with the arrival of Joseph Mark. And, and, and I've also heard things said about our church, people who are new or visiting or maybe in another place, and maybe they come from a different church background, and they say things like, this is very different than what I'm used to, and they mean that as a compliment. There is life here in our midst. There's young people here. The people are very friendly and warm at MABC. Now, can we grow in this as a church? Of course we can. But many of you do enjoy serving. This church showers expecting moms and soon-to-be brides with love and stuff. Many men and women serve as deacons, ministry leaders, elders, other volunteer positions, all without pay, mostly without recognition, but with a heart of love for the people of this church. And then it says, the Thessalonians had steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And the key to all of this, friend, is not that you say, okay, I want to be a hard worker, I want to be a loving person, and I want to remain steadfast, and therefore I'm going to cultivate those things in my life on my own, by my own strength and power, because I have strong will. No, you must understand that if these virtues are to be cultivated in your life, then you must be a person who initially receives the gospel and allows the gospel's power to be unleashed in your life. You see, the reason why the Thessalonians could remain steadfast and even joyful in the midst of persecution and affliction, which we'll talk about in just a moment, is because they had a hope and they understood that this world was not their home. And they understood that this life was not all that there was. And therefore, God began to produce these virtues in the lives of the Thessalonians. And listen to me. The instrument or the tool by which God produces these virtues in us is the gospel of the Lord Jesus. This is how the gospel works, and this is how God builds his church. So MABC, be encouraged. I thank God for a people who are in love with Jesus. I thank God for a people who love the gospel of Jesus, and I thank God for a people who long to be more like Jesus. Second, let's be encouraged and give thanks to God for the reception of the gospel in our church. Let's be encouraged and give thanks to God for the reception of the gospel in our church. Let me just explain here what Paul's saying. Paul says here, listen, I thank God for you, Thessalonians. I remember these virtues that were cultivated in you, and, and we know 
that you're beloved by God and among the elect for these reasons. Because when the gospel came to you, it came in power. And it came in the power of the Holy Spirit and with full persuasion. Okay? And Paul's kind of self-understanding is that he was an apostle appointed by the Lord Jesus. He was a divine messenger who carried a divine message. And so for people to reject his message meant that not that they rejected him, but that they rejected God. But in the case of the Thessalonians, the gospel came to them and they received that gospel. Paul was able to preach that gospel, this divinely given message, and he was able to preach it with power, with the accompaniment of the Holy Spirit, and these Thessalonians received that message. Now, we're not given a ton of detail about the Thessalonians in the book of Acts, but we are given some detail which I think are of interest to us in this moment, okay? So this is what the book of Acts tells us in Acts 17. tells us that Paul went into the city of Thessalonica, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and for three Sabbaths, so for three weeks or maybe three just random Sabbaths, Saturdays, he taught the people who came to the synagogue. And what he was doing there is that he was teaching out of what we call the Old Testament, and he was persuading people that the Messiah of the Old Testament needed to die, and he needed to rise. And he was demonstrating to the people of the synagogue, and he was saying, look, listen, I want to show you from the Old Testament that it predicts and prophesies that the Messiah must die and must rise, and that this man named Jesus of Nazareth, who lived about 20 years ago in Israel, that man is the Messiah. And so what, what, what happened? Well, he was preaching that, and then a number of people came to receive the message of the gospel. A number of people came to believe in the message of the gospel. And so the Jewish leaders of the city, the Jewish men of the synagogue, became jealous. And so they, got, they, um, they caused an uproar. They formed a mob. They, sit, they set the city in an uproar. They attacked the house where the meetings were taking place. And they delivered the owner of the house, along with a few other believers, before the city authorities in order to accuse them so that they might be condemned. Okay? These people were eventually let go because Jason, the owner of the house, paid a bond. But Paul and Silas had to flee the city in the night to the city of Berea. Okay? And these Thessalonian Jews, they were um, belligerent Okay, So it wasn't good enough that they were kicked out of the city of Thessalonica. These Thessalonians Jews actually followed them to the city of Berea. Okay, And they arrived in the city of Berea and they caused an uproar and they agitated the people there so that Paul had to leave even the city of Berea to Athens. But in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of that commotion, in the, in the midst of all of that persecution and agitation and antagonism and opposition, there were some in the city of Thessalonica who were persuaded of the message of the gospel. There are some who are convinced of the truthfulness of the gospel, and so they believed. There are a great many of the devout Greeks and several of the leading women, and they were persuaded of the beauty and the goodness of the gospel, and so they believed. And so you see the contrast. Most people in the city of Thessalonica either did not have the time of day for Paul, or if they did have the time of day for Paul, they wanted to kick him out of the city, okay? Boot him out, tell him to never return, and then to find and to persecute his friends while they were at it. 
But there were some in the city of Thessalonica who believed and were persuaded of the gospel message. And here's the thing. As Paul penned this letter, and as he wrote this letter to the Thessalonian church, some of those very people were sitting in the pews of the church at Thessalonica, and Paul's saying, I'm thankful to God for you. And I'm thankful to God's, for God's work in your life. The gospel was powerfully preached, and the gospel powerfully transformed you, and I thank God for that. Paul was exuberant at this fact. He was excited. Paul, the gospel came powerfully, and the gospel transformed powerfully, and that thrilled the heart of the Apostle Paul. Not because he was made much of, not because he was right and the Jews were wrong, not because he had a fan club in the city now, No, because God was at work amongst them. And God made the gospel real and beautiful to the Thessalonians. And as I thought about this sermon, how to bring it to bear upon you, brothers and sisters, I am genuinely encouraged by these same realities in you. Is our church perfect? No. Do we have areas of growth? You bet. Do all of us have imperfections and sin in our lives? Absolutely. But perhaps that's the point. We understand that we are a bunch of messed up people, that we are a bunch of broken people, that we are a bunch of people with deeply wicked hearts by nature and therefore are desperately in need of the gospel. That we have no other hope than the Lord Jesus and therefore we cling to Christ and to his works on our behalf. And I love that about this church. We have one book, it's the Bible. And we have one message, it is the gospel. You know, I strongly dislike missing church on Sunday mornings. And uh, one morning that I was particularly unhappy about missing was the day that Buffy Edwards was baptized. She shared her testimony that day. She was initially coming, and and her testimony, um, and I've heard it in bits and pieces, I obviously heard it that, that morning, but... Um, she initially came to church for her boys. She wanted them to be exposed to Christianity, and so she brought them to youth groups. She sometimes brought them to church. It was, it was more for them. But as time went on, she started asking questions and forming relationships here at our church. And she talks about how she was deeply moved by the love of Jesus and by the love of God. Buffy had lived a sinful life that left her broken. She lived a sinful life really from, you know, from the time that she was a young person. And so she understood her need for Jesus. And um, again, I was at home watching on live stream. I wasn't here. Uh, I think a lot of you were. But her testimony was so remarkable that we clapped as she finished her testimony. Now, if you'll remember how baptism normally goes, the testimony shared, the person is dunked, and then we clap. But there's something remarkable happening that day. I think there's a collective sense of the beauty of what God had done in her life. And so we gave thanks to God for her. Buffy and her boys moved out to Calgary this summer and so, so the boys could attend state. And she sent this text to a number of us just a few weeks ago. Please tell our Toronto Maple Avenue Baptist Church friends that we miss them so much. This is our first day in our new church. We've just moved into our new place, settling in nicely in Calgary. We love you all. They were saved. They were baptized. They moved 3,000 kilometers away to Calgary, and they're getting settled into a solid church. And friends, your warmth 
and your love had a role to play in that. The church's love was used by God to bring the gospel to Buffy and her boys. Or think of a recent God at Work video. Matt King, he grew up in the church, but the, that church, the church didn't preach the gospel. And so he strayed away for a decade or so. And then God began to work in his heart to convict him of sin and to persuade him that the only hope for his soul was in the gospel of Jesus. And now he's a mouthpiece for that very same gospel, even at work, where he's affectionately called, apparently, the Pope. <laughs> and, the street, and, and then he's in the streets of Georgia and going door to door and sharing Christ at places like the Georgetown Farmer's Market. I think of Seth and Brianna, and now both Laidlaw and their testimonies just a few months ago. Both of them successful in their careers. Both of them possessing everything you want from a worldly standpoint. But... Both of them feeling empty and broken inside. And they embraced Christ individually, but they were baptized together on the same day, months before they were to be wed. And Seth, in front of all his high school friends and lacrosse teammates, most of them unbelievers, he said, I want to build our marriage on God. And stories like this could be multiplied. Each one of you, in fact, every one of you who are believers in the Lord Jesus have such a story to tell. And as I look out across this room, you are a people who have been transformed by the gospel of grace. And that is our song, and that is our boast, and that is our joy. And I thank God for you, Maple Avenue Baptist Church. Third, let's be encouraged and give thanks to God for the impact of our church upon other churches. Let's be encouraged and give thanks to God for the impact of our church upon other churches. So Paul's just saying, hey, listen, Thessalonians, the effect of all of this, the fact that you received the gospel when we preached it to you, the fact that you embraced the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit in joy, even in the midst of opposition and persecution, and the fact that you've allowed Christian virtues to form in your midst, and the fact that you took it upon yourself to be evangelistic and missional, even in, your surround, in the surrounding regions, um, you've become an example to all the believers in the region. You received the gospel in the midst of opposition and persecution with joy, and therefore you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in, in Achaia. Those are just names of two provinces in Greece. Macedonia being in northern Greece and Achaia being in central and southern Greece. And so the Thessalonians became an example church. They became a model church. They, they were an example church, simply put, because they allowed the gospel to be central to who they were as a people. And they allowed the gospel to be effective in them, and they sounded forth the gospel to others in their region. Just a few things for us to note here. First, by way of corrective, just notice with me, when Paul speaks of this report concerning the Thessalonians, notice what he does not report. He's not focusing on number of professions per se. He's not enamored with the size of the church budget. He's not talking about a building project. They wouldn't have had a building like ours. He's not talking, or he doesn't emphasize their presence 
in the community or how unbelievers look positively about their community involvement. None of those things are bad things, but they're just not the things that Paul emphasizes. You know, the testimony that impresses Paul is this, that the Thessalonians warmly and joyfully received the gospel even in the midst of immense pressure and hostility. Paul was impressed with how the Thessalonians had abandoned their idols and all the immorality that came with it overnight. And they, how they embraced an entirely new identity and they had a newfound hope in Jesus, the Messiah, who is a laughingstock of both Jews and Gentiles alike. Let me just say this very clearly. I think sometimes that we can be enamored and impressed with all kinds of spiritual things. Like, oh, like that church down the road has, I don't know, a thousand people on a Sunday morning. Or like that church's building is, is really impressive. Or, or you think of maybe um, other sectors of Christendom. We think of, we hear of miracles or we hear of healings and that's what impresses us. But Paul says here, the thing that I am most impressed by, the thing that I am most encouraged by, is that you have had this transformative effect where you laid down your idols and you embraced the Lord Jesus with joy, even in the midst of hostility, because you understood how beautiful, how wonderful, how worthy, and how necessary he is for you. If you love Jesus this morning, my friend, God has worked a wonderful work in your heart. This is not self-generated. You could not have done this for yourself. Your parents even, even though they would teach you and they would cultivate good habits and patterns and character traits in you, your parents cannot grant you saving faith. If you love Jesus and he is the most important thing for you in your life and in your heart, and I trust that it is for many of you because I know you, God has worked a marvelous thing in your heart, and we thank God for that. Second, let me just say this by way of encouragement. And obviously, there's not a one-to-one parallel. It's not like all the believers in Georgetown and Quebec have heard about Maple Avenue Baptist Church. But I think that there are, you know, kind of similarities here, and I want to draw those out. I think there is a sense that God has allowed our church to have an impact on other churches in our region. We have been around for a long time, for nearly seven decades in Georgetown. We are an important church within our denomination, the Fellowship of Evangelical Baptist Churches in Canada. And again, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but our church is somewhat known in our region. I think a lot of this happens through the Simeon Trust workshop that we host each May as we open up our church to many pastors and aspiring preachers from across the province and beyond. And our our people, you, give of your time, your energy, your kitchens for that conference. And and, and all with, with the view, all with the point and the purpose, not of showing off our hospitality, but so that the gospel can go forth in the churches of Ontario and beyond. I think that some of this happens as we send out our own men to fill pulpits as needs arise. And and this is not about 
us. It's not about any of the pastors. I'm not suggesting that we pat ourselves on the back and feel proud in a fleshly sort of way. I'm simply pointing out the fact that our church has a reputation in the churches of this region as a hub for expository preaching and being a healthy church. And we thank God for those opportunities. And I just want you to know that even if you're working in the background in some of these things, your involvement is serving the greater purposes of the kingdom, not just here, but beyond. And so let this impact continue, my friends. Let us be a church that sounds forth the gospel in our own community. Let us be a people that, that speak quickly and often about the gospel that has transformed us. And let us remember that faithfulness to Jesus means that we are committed not just to the health of our own church, but to the health of churches within our region. That our concern is not just for the believers of MABC, but for believers in Ontario and in Quebec and more broadly across Canada. So three points. Let us be encouraged and give thanks to God for the presence of Christian virtues in our church. Second, let us be encouraged and give thanks to God for the reception of the gospel in our church. And third, let us be encouraged and give thanks to God for the impact of our church upon other churches. Now, let me just end with this. We have to remember that the early church lived in a very pagan world. And and they lived in a context that was quite hostile and antagonistic to Christianity. We heard of the hatred and persecution of the Jews towards Paul and his friends. And that's significant because the Jews actually had a significant um, place in the city. They, they had legal status within the city, which meant that they could um, collect funds, they could build a synagogue, they could hold religious services. And so they had a special treatment in the city. But there was also a dominant pagan presence in the city as well. Remember the city of Thessalonica? Is about 200,000 people at the time, and there was a strong pagan presence in the city, which meant that to be a good citizen meant that you had to pay respect to the patron deities, to participate in feasts, celebrations, games, and other public events. And I was just reading about the immorality of the city just this morning, and I won't go into the details here just due to perhaps the, the broader audience, but like, it was very immoral. And, and we think that sometimes the immorality of our day is sort of a new thing. And while there is technology in our day that allows for certain kinds of things in our day that wasn't possible in other generations, it is not true that immorality is a new thing of the 21st century. No, immorality has always been present. And the paganism that was rife in the city of Thessalonica was accompanied by gross immorality. And I share those historical details to say this. The Thessalonians received the word with joy of the Holy Spirit in much affliction. There was great opposition. There was heavy persecution. There was immense pressure to capitulate. Yet they remained rooted in the gospel and faithful to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, let us be encouraged by the gospel's work in our midst. And let that spur us on to greater faithfulness in the days ahead. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. And I guess my prayer out of this sermon is that we would be encouraged by seeing your work of causing the gospel to be real and effective in our midst as a church.
So I just pray that you do that for us by your spirit. Help us to see um, your work in us and amongst us and cause us to be encouraged by that so that we can keep going in faithfulness to you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.